Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine show for you. Stephen Wino of the Associated Press joins me later to preview the Preakness Stakes and the Stanley Cup playoffs and the controversy surrounding horse racing trainer Bob Baffert and the Washington Capitals' Tom Wilson. And a Capital Region television legend, Benita Zahn, will join the podcast to talk about her broadcasting career and why she is leaving WNYT News Channel 13 after nearly 40 years at the station. My first guest just officiated his 1500th career game as an NHL linesman last Saturday at the arena where he made his debut in 1998, Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. And it was his final game as he has decided to hang up his skates and whistle after 23 years. He is a native of Troy and a 1987 graduate of the LaSalle Institute. He currently lives not too far from me in Gilderland and his son and my son were teammates on the Storm High School hockey team. Please welcome to the podcast, Tony Siracolo. Tony, welcome and uh, congratulations on a great career. Uh, must be thrilled to, to be involved in the NHL for 23 years. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, Ken. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege. Anyways, yeah, it was. I, I can't believe how fast it's gone, 23 years. I got I to gotta just correct you on one thing if I can. Okay. My mom, my mom would be really upset. I was I was born and raised in Waterloo, and I never changed that Troy, New York, on my bio. Ah. So she always reminds me, you got to change that on your bio. <laughs> so I'm a I'm a Vliet guy all through and through. So okay, well, I, I checked the I was checking the website and they still had Troy that's on not, there. That's not your fault. That's you know that's my fault for 23 years not not changing it. That's okay. But I'm a cannoneer. <laughs> well, I was offside so. on that one. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, what were your emotions like uh, last Saturday, Tony, uh, to, to be able to, to finish your career where it started? Uh, it was overwhelming. You know, I, I had a lot of my close friends were there. Uh, a few guys, you know, a uh, few guys that I officiated with over the years. I got to pick the my the crew that I wanted to work with. Um, those are my closer friends on staff. It was just overwhelming. All the messages. Um, the messages from coaches and players and and mostly my colleagues who i've you know been on the ice with for 23 years and um it's a lonely job but we have a pretty good camaraderie um and we each support each other and that was pretty evident when i was retiring so i was it was overwhelming and at the end, it's yeah, still yeah. kind of hard to hard to believe. And at the end of the game, seeing both teams, both coaching staffs come over to you and congratulate you, uh, what did that mean to you? Uh, it just kind of shows you what you meant in the game. Even though, even though um, emotions fly high sometimes, at the end of the day, we're all coaches, players, officials. We're all in it together on the ice, and we all want the best thing for the game and it just showed that the human side of of everybody on the ice and it's a great game with great people in the game now you so. play yeah you play collegiate hockey at american international and helped uh, lead the team to an ecac division two championship after you finished uh collegiate your collegiate career what led you to go into officiating um i was the captain of my team my uh, my senior year and at that time 
we um, we had to talk to the to the officials before the game on what they were going to call and what they weren't going to call and what they were going to let you know how us, how we were going to play or dictate how we were going to play during the game. My coach at my coach at college, Gary Wright. We, he he didn't allow us to take penalties. We, I was never allowed to like get in a scrum with somebody. If I was in a scrum with somebody and we both went to the box, I would be out for a week. Like I would sit. Wow. Like so, he did not tolerate any of that kind of rough hockey play. He was a more finesse coach. So at the time, I really didn't even know there were officials on the ice. But a local guy named Harry Amian, who I worked with so many games in American hockey league and you might know him from like college hockey yeah. working RPI games and things like that. Yeah. He was one of the officials I talked to that night and he says, Hey, listen, if you don't have a job, why don't you start officiating? I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll, you know, I'll think about it. Well, I couldn't find a job. I, I came home. I couldn't find anything. I got some work at Mike DeRossi sports, a little sporting goods store in Gilliland, New York. So I worked there for eight years. Anyways, I couldn't, I, I, I was really not, you know, I wanted to skate a little bit. I wanted to do something in the game. So I called Harry, and he he was the one that kind of got me going. So I, I worked a little kid's game, five years old. I worked with a fellow official, John Becker. I don't know. These are local names, which are, you know, important in my life, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked I worked with him one day. It was a little kid's game. The next, like a week later, the Rangers were having training camp up in Glens Falls. Yeah. So I went up, I watched, I was watching this because I still, still thought I could play the game. I, you know, so I was watching Kovalev's there, Messier's there, Richter's there. They're all, all the guys are there, right? Mm-hmm. So they had a fight. One of the linesmen cuts his hand. Well, Harry Amian's referee in the game. So he looks up in the stands and he, he gestures to me. He says, Tom, why don't you come and, why don't you come and uh, referee? I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, just, you can referee the game. I'll work the lines. He goes, whenever the goalie gets the puck, just blow your whistle. So, oh, okay. I'm skating up and down the ice. I'm skating up and down the ice. I have no idea the positioning of an official. I have the mannerisms. I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways, Mike Richter slides across, hits the post, and Mark Messier is, like, right in my face saying, like, because I waved the goal off. He, like, he shot. I waved the goal off, and I was like, I didn't know the rules, Ken. I didn't know anything about it. So I kind of waved it off. And he um, he says to me, you don't know the rules. You better know the rules. Training camp's coming up. I go, this is my this is like my second game ever. <laughs> and he goes, really? You, you look good. I go, oh, thank you very much. You know, fast forward like nine years later, I'm in Madison Square Garden, and I, and I happen to throw Mark Messi out of a face-off. And he comes out to me, he goes, are you that guy from Adirondack? And I says, yeah, I am. And he goes, congratulations. And I said, well, thank you very much. He goes, don't ever do that to me again. I go, okay. (laughs) He was very intimidating, but it was funny how he remembered. So that's how I kind of got my start. Did you ever consider being a referee instead of a linesman? I, we, we went through this. I don't know how much time I have with you, but we went through this. We went through the USA hockey camps and at the time, there were more. I had more opportunity because the American Hockey League was here as a as a linesman. Mm-hmm. So I kind of they kind of put me in that track, and that's where I stayed. You know, because I had more opportunity for as a linesman. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, what's good. No, 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 no. Go. I was going to say uh, Kevin Collins, uh, one of the great the linesmen in the NHL history, and like you, an AIC grad, uh, you know, helped you along the way. Uh, what? Did he see in you, and how much did he help you on your path? 
He, we, uh, for us to, for us to even be looked at for the American Hockey League, Kevin Collins used to run a camp, uh, over in Springfield, Mass. And we would have to go over there and try out. So Kevin Collins actually gave me my first start in the American Hockey League. Um, he would run the camp. Then he called this other guy named Gordy Anziano. Oh yeah, I know Gordy. That, I know Gordy. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he says, oh, I, I think Tony's, you know, Tony's capable of working American League. So that was my first introduction. You know, it was the first time I really met Kevin. You know, mm-hmm. and then he over, you know, through the years, I worked so many games with Kevin. Uh, respect him. He's he was one of the hardest workers that I ever worked with on the ice. Most one of the most respected officials by the players. He just um, he was a true professional. Yeah, uh, Gordy Gordy Anziano was a character. He was a good man too. <laughs> oh, he Gordy always took care of me. Like uh, you know, I would say that I was available and. He would give me the games, you know. He, I worked a lot of games in the American League, yeah. like 40, 50 games a year, you know. So, and for the for those of us, uh, for those listening who don't don't know Gordy Anza, he was the vice president of the American Hockey League for many years under Jack Butterfield. Back when I was covering the league, first in Hershey and then later up here. So, uh, but like I said, Gordy was a good man and he always treated me well, and I, I've always respected him for that. Um, yeah. What do you remember about your first uh, NHL game on October twenty first, nineteen ninety eight? A game between the Islanders and the, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I don't really, <laughs> I don't remember much about it. I remember I was really nervous. I remember being in the hotel room, thinking in the afternoon, like, "Oh my God, I can't, I, you know, I can't believe I've, you know, I've come this far." Plus, on that day, you know, I, I married, I married my high school sweetheart. So on that day, and I was, uh, it was my wife's birthday. So. Uh, ten twenty one. Mm-hmm. So ten twenty one ninety eight. So I was like, and ironically, that was probably the last birthday I was home for, for like twenty three years. So, <laughs> or she, or she was with me, you know, because we do a lot of traveling. But uh, it was just exciting. I don't really, re- you know, twenty three years ago. There's so much in between. But it was one of them. It was probably the, the game that I'm most proud of. My first one. Yeah. I mean, before before go to track back a little bit, uh, you officiated EC ECAC hockey. So I. I remember talking to you a couple of years ago. I found that I was cleaning out my desk and I saw an old score sheet with your name in it. I mean, what was it? Was that much? How much of an education was that working in, in college hockey? I didn't work. You know what? I didn't work very long in college hockey because mm-hmm. I dedicated more of like I wanted to work in the pro game. Yeah. You know, the, the co- I was so I was the college game wanted you to make your schedule available to them first. So I was like, oh, I, want, I really kind of wanted to pursue working in the National Hockey League. So I didn't want to give up my weekends working at college. I think I, I maybe only worked with like 20 games at best in college hockey. Well, I remember I, th- you I, remember, I remember you doing a few games with the Union RPI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did a few games, you know, 96, 97 in that era, right? Yeah. You know, but I didn't, it wasn't like I really remember a lot about the college game or, you know, so. What are some of the more memorable, memorable games you officiated? I worked the Olympics in Torino. That was that was nice. Um, worked some outdoor games. Uh, you know, believe it or not, like a, a lot of the games that you work towards the end of the season have that have a lot of impact on the playoffs and who gets into the playoffs are really exciting games. You know, they don't get mentioned a lot, mm-hmm. but those games like early early April, late March, those were really exciting games. Um, but I guess, you know, it's like the highlighted games, right? The, the Winter Classics, the All-Star Games, the t- games in Torino. Those ones always stand out because you can bring your family yeah. and also have them enjoying it too. So those are the ones you look back on, I guess, over the years and say, you know, those were a lot of fun. Yeah. 
mean, you were part of the officiating crew for last week's uh, two-game series between the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers. Of course, that Monday night game featured the Capitals' Tom Wilson, a player who's been known to cross the line, punching uh, Pavel Buchnevich in the back of the head while he was down on the ice. And then he threw a helmetless Artemi Panarin to the ice during a scrum. Wilson was fined just $5,000 and not suspended by the NHL Department of Player Safety. And that led to the Rangers uh, calling for the head of the uh, uh, the department, uh, George Paris, to be fired. Of course, the teams met again Wednesday, and six fights broke out with three in the first uh, second after the puck drop in that first period. Uh, how do you and your fellow officials pre- prepare for a game like that? Do you anticipate uh, there will be trouble at the outset of the game? You know what? For us, and working 1,500 games in the NHL, we treated every game like it was the most important game that night. So even though there was six fights in that game, we that used 10, 15 years ago, that used to be every night. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what we try to do is we try to calm the situation. We don't try to escalate it. You know, we, we make decisions on the ice based on what won't escalate the game. Like we get the guys in the face-offs quicker. Maybe we might, you know, like, keep the game moving and, 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 but it's not like, it's not like we go in there and premeditate anything. We let the game flow. I mean, we weren't, we weren't expecting that. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's just letting the game happen and, and what unfolds. We never really premeditate what's going to happen in a game. What was it like? I don't know, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. Or, no, you know. I mean, because I mean, I mean, obviously with the, with the way the schedule is this year and the, because of the pandemic, We've seen like two, three, even four game series. So it's sort of like playoffs. So we sort of expect, it's expect some nastiness, but I, I think it was, you know, definitely escalated by the, and I'm just, my opinion, uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, you know, the Rangers escalated things by calling for George Powers to be fired. So, I mean, so it's so much, I mean, the, the league received a lot of criticism for the handling of it, but uh, I was just, I'm just curious because, you, you know, you see this over the years and you, you know there's going to be bad blood and, uh, I was just yeah. It's nice to get inside the mind of a you know, someone who who is there, who you know was part of that. Because obviously, normally you wouldn't have worked the back-to-back games, but the way that like I said the pandemic this year is uh, they like had to try to you know, minimize the travel for you guys this year. And talk about that too. In fact, you know it's been a weird year. You didn't get to go to Canada. You you know basically I think was stayed uh, in in the United States, mostly East Coast. I mean, what was it like this year? And in the bubble uh, last uh, last summer, you know, with the uh, playoffs. Well, I, you know, this year, as if I'll answer your first question about the uh, maybe the rivalry and something. The more that's going on in a game, the more that's going on in a game, not so much for a referee but for a linesman, mm-hmm. keeps you involved in a game, keeps you aware and like where you have to be at certain spots, certain spots on the ice, hot hot spots. People changing, people coming on. We'll, you know, like other players coming on against other players. So for us as a linesman, we want games like that. That keeps us involved. Like we're, so, we're not just calling offsides and icings. We're also working on line changes and 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 keep, kind of keeping the peace in the game. I got to tell you that one of the hardest things in my career was being in the pandemic. It, like it, with COVID, we were we were isolated from even our own guys on our staff. Um, we had to take our own cars to the rink. We had to be socially distanced in the room. We had to keep our masks on all the time in the room. It was really, um, it was a challenge for us because we're, we're social. We don't have a lot of people that we can rely on. So then even after the game, we, we would have to 
you know, there was no soap, there was no shop, there was no shampoo. We had to hurry up out of the locker room. We had to go back to our room and stay by ourselves. We couldn't travel from city to city with each other. We can't go to the game with each other. So it was a mental, a mental grind every day for us. So that's, uh, that was one of the harder things. The bubble was great. We got tested every day, but we could still hang out with each other because it was like isolated. Everything was enclosed. It was, uh, it was a little bit better, but this one was tough. This year, really tough on us. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you wore number eighty-four during your uh, career. Uh, talk about the significance of that number. Uh, that's a, my yeah my my uh, my daughter's uh, birthday, August fourth. The story behind that is I'll try to make it as quick as I can. Oh, take your time. Um, <laughs> no, the um, we all, we had a, a fishing manager charge of us named Brian Lewis. Oh, worked yeah. a lot of games in the NHL, and then, I, then he became a supervisor. Anyways, for years, the, the NHL was telling me I was going to be the next guy hired, next guy hired, but I never got hired, right? But in the summertime, my friends would think it would be funny. They would call on the phone and say, hey, this is uh, so Brian Lewis. Is, is Tony there? You know, and it, it got old after a while, like yeah. every year, right? You know, making fun of me. So we played along when I played along with Anyways, my daughter's born. We come in the house. And the day we bring her home, the phone rings. And it, my wife answers, and it's uh, Brian Lewis. says, hey, is Tony there? This is Brian Lewis with the National Hockey League. And my wife was like, this is not really a good time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you guys aren't funny anymore. And, and she hangs the phone up. Oh, jeez. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then the phone rings like 30 seconds later, and I answer the phone. And my wife says to me, Tony. You, you might, I think that might be Brian Lewis. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so I go and uh, I pick the phone up, and he, Brian Lewis goes, "This is not a good way to start a working relationship." So I said, "Oh, my, my daughter was just born. We just walked her in the house." And he's like, "But it was kind of like one of those funny moments, right? Twenty three <laughs> years ago." Yeah. So, but funny. But it was my. It's my. So my I took my daughter's my daughter's birth uh, birthday, mm-hmm. August fourth. So that's the significance of that. What are your plans now, and uh, what will you uh, miss about being in the NHL? Do you know how many times people have asked me what I'm going to do? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do now. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to relax a little bit, uh, take time. I, I, you know, I definitely probably would love to do something in uh, in hockey uh, or stay in the sport any way I can. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not really in any rush, um, any rush to do anything. What am I going to miss the most about it? Yeah. Uh, I guess all you know, all my colleagues, all, all my buddies in the game, you know. So I, I mean, the the locker room, the traveling, traveling with each other's uh, things you you probably can never replace in life. But you know, that's I'll look back on it, and that'll be the most important thing. I, you know, that'll be the thing I miss. Well, Tony, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, congratulations on the great career. It's great to know you and great to consider you a friend. And I hope to run into you soon and uh, have some dinner and drinks. Sounds good, Ken. I really appreciate it. All right. That's good talking to you. Good talking okay. to you, Tony. Thanks again. Okay. That's Tony Ciricolo. Up next, I'll talk to the Associated Press of Stephen Wino about the Preakness and the Stanley Cup. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, 
especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm George Manius, president of the Albany Firewolves of the National Lacrosse League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Well, Stephen, welcome back to the uh, podcast. You are a busy man between Tom Wilson and Bob Baffert. Uh, you're, is your head spinning? It, it, it is. And, and, if, and if Tom Wilson and Bob Baffert are in the same part at any time, I think I'm going to explode. <laughs> it's, 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 been, it's been a couple of weeks now. Well, let's talk about let's talk horse racing first. You'll be covering the Preakness for the Associated Press on Saturday. Uh, Medina Spirit is going to be allowed to race. Uh, as far as we know, there's some agreements with uh, – yeah, testing and all that stuff. Uh, is it possible that we, you know, that he gets disqualified before before Saturday? Yeah, it, it's possible. And, and and the agreement that the Preakness officials have with Bob Baffert is uh, eight different tests of horses. One from last Thursday that was kind of an original testing of this. Uh, one taken yesterday, one taken today. Uh, so three separate kind of timelines of, of testing Medina Spirit concert tour. Uh, and, and, and Bob Baffert has a, a horse in the Black Eyed Susan race on Friday as well. Um, and then if any of those come back with the beta methazone steroid in it, the, the horse has to scratch from the race. So there's a chance that, the, that Preakness gets those results back on Friday um, and, and asks Bob Baffert or, or tells Bob Baffert you're scratching this horse. Uh, that's a legitimate possibility at this point. And if so, I, I have a pretty good uh, recollection of doing something like this. I'll have another in 2012. I was at the Belmont the day that he scratched the day before the race for what they at least said at the time was a foot injury for the horse the day before going to the Triple Crown. We could have another situation like that, though at the Preakness, with Medina Spirit getting scratched from the Preakness maybe 36 hours before the race. I mean, just how crazy is this situation? It seems like you know, Baffert escaped trouble in Arkansas when he got his uh, suspension overturned, and then this happens. And you, now you start to wonder... Is Baffert really telling the truth? No, and and it's not just that. It's the fact that he got busted for for the the same drug with Gamine at the Kentucky Oaks. It was Charlatan and Gamine in Arkansas for lidocaine. It was another horse, Bernice at Elmar for another drug that's cough suppressant. Now, none of these are necessarily performance enhancing drugs, but at the very least, it's showing a, a disorganized part. Or, 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 or something in the level of ignorance on Bob Baffert's part that, that these substances are getting into horses' systems enough to come up on, on drug tests. And, and that is, is the thing, as I'm speaking to, to experts and, and, and folks in the industry about this, is, is the, the prevailing opinion is it's not necessarily that, that Bob Baffert is trying to, to cheat with these things, but they may be giving horses enough of an advantage that with a good trainer like that is making a difference in results. I mean, he's right now at the number three post for the uh, for the for the uh, nine to five morning line favorite. Uh, I mean, obviously, he looked good in the Kentucky Derby. Does he have a shot at winning this? It's his horse. It's his race to lose. It looks if if Medina Spirit runs 
runs a Kentucky Derby-like race in the Preakness. We are talking about a horse winning the first two legs of the Triple Crown and the potential of being disqualified from one of them after the fact. Because I do think we're not going to find out that split sample Kentucky Derby result and by the time the Preakness goes off on Saturday night. That, yeah, no, I, I think he's the favorite for a very for, for good reason. Concert Tour, the other Bob Baffert horse owned by Gary Gary Mary West, is the, the probably the only other horse maybe who can beat Madonna Spirit in, in this race. Uh, maybe Midnight Bourbon, but look, this is a field of ten. But this is a, a, a Baffert race. This is a Baffert against Baffert race, in my opinion, for who's going to win. Is it best for him not to be there in Baltimore for the race? I mean, he's staying away right now. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's staying away, but he's doing Fox News and he's doing all these other interviews and he's putting statements out. And, and, and I, I don't know that him not being here makes that big of a difference. He, he's the talk of, of, of Baltimore and, and the Preakness and Pimlico, regardless of whether he's here or not. The fact that Jimmy Barnes is kind of his on-site representative, which has been common in other races. This happened with, with uh, Authentic at the Haskell last year, that Jimmy Barnes saddled the horse. He won that race as kind of a, almost a, a prep, of it, for lack of a better term, for the Kentucky Derby last year. That I don't know that it makes that big of a difference. I, I, I think Bob Baffert didn't want to face the questions here and, and, and would rather not kind of be the face of this race. But whether he's here or not, he is. He, he is the subject that everyone is talking about right now. What does this do for his reputation? I, I was Look, inside horse racing, his reputation has not been good for a little while now. There, there, there have been questions about the medication of these horses from Gamine to Charleston uh, over the last year, and even back to Justify's weird drug test at the Santa Anita Derby in 2018. I think now this has started to get into the mainstream, and, and, and I don't know if it's quite yet a kind of Lance Armstrong situation with horse racing where we're, we're going to look back and realize that a lot of what he accomplished might not have been legitimate. But there's certainly the potential for that. If, if, if these keep coming out, if these keep happening, it's not necessarily a sign of a disorganized bar. It's a sign of, of either willful, willful ignorance or, or the willingness to try to push everything to the edge and try to get as, as much of an edge as you can in the competition. And, and I think now with this test, even though it's not for performance-enhancing drugs, it has started to crack the veneer of Bob Baffert in, in the public outside of horse racing. It's almost like an arrogance uh, a little bit with him, too. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and that's the thing that when when the, when the Gamine stuff came out, the Chardon stuff came out, he had a very somewhat sincere apology of, of I've got to get my stuff in order and, and kind of figure out and make sure that the medications are going to the right forces and those sort of things. At, at this point, What's the excuse? At this point, you know the rules. You know that this substance is not allowed in any amount in the state of Kentucky or in the state of Maryland, for that matter. And there's really not a legitimate reason why this happened, even with a medical reason, as Baffert explained to say, this ointment for a dermatitis condition. Speaking of guys who like to push the uh, envelope a little bit, Tom Wilson, Washington Capitals. <laughs> uh, he created a firestorm last Monday with uh, punching uh, the Rangers' Pavel Buznevich in the back of the head while he was on the ice and then throwing uh, Panarin down to the ice, a helmetless uh, Panarin down to the ice. And the only got was a $5,000 fine, which drew the ire of many critics of the league, drew the ire of the New York Rangers. They're calling for the job of uh, George Paris, the uh, disciplinary uh, Bizarre. 
Uh, and then we saw what happened the next when they played Wednesday night. Uh, three fights break out in the first second of the game. Six fights overall in the first period. Did the NHL mishandle this situation? No, I, I actually don't think so. I actually don't think the NHL mishandled the situation at all because the way the Department of Player Safety looks at this is if this happened with any two other players, would it be worthy of a hearing? Would it be worthy of suspension? If that happens between Brandon Montour in, in Florida and Yanni Gord of Tampa Bay, is this? It does this get to a hearing? Is a suspension? And and it isn't. It, 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 we saw the same thing with with Travis Konechny and and Cindy Crosby the next night. A very similar situation. Not quite the brutality. Not quite the difference in size. And an injury happened to Artemi Panarin on the play. So and those are things that that if it got to a hearing. Wilson's record and the injury and all of those things would all factor into how long the suspension it would be. But it, the, the way the league saw it was this is a situation that happens often, that, that the guys are wrestling and someone gets thrown to the ice and, and it's a penalty, it's a misconduct, it's not necess- it's, it's a fine for, for what he did to Buchnevich, but that it didn't rise to the level of suspension. And, and to, to me, it, it's hard to argue when you know the league and you've been around the league long enough to see a history of what they suspend for and what they don't that I, I understand the reasoning and I understand the people on the other side who are saying this was a, a kind of a brutal act. The optics were terrible for, from a, from a league perspective to, to have this on TMZ and Keith Oberman and those sort of things. It's not a good optical situation, but this is what hockey sells. Hockey sells kind of the, the, the hatred after the whistles and those sort of things. And you don't want to see anybody get hurt ever in any situation. But I don't think it was an intent to injure, injure and clearly the league didn't think so either. I, th- I think that with the, Panarin being without his helmet, being thrown to the ice like the way he was, I think that probably upset people as like me. If he hits his head on the ice, I mean, that could be a dangerous situation. Yeah, and I had colleagues say, well, he could have died. Yes, in, in theory, this, this could happen at some point. I remember the George Peros and, and Cold Nor fight Montreal, Toronto years ago, where you, you wonder at some point <clears throat> is a guy going to get a concussion or a brain bleed from those situations? Canarin uh, suffered not not even a concussion, a lower body injury on the play. Uh, Tom Wilson checked up on Artemi Panarin and, and to make sure he was okay a couple of days later. But yeah, it, it's a scary situation that things like that can happen. But <clears throat> as long as the league allows that kind of rest of the match after the whistle to happen, it's hard to legislate one and not the other. I know, I mean, Tom Wilson is a hated man, but if he was on your team, you would love him. Yeah, and, and, and I think all 32 now, NHL general managers, would take Tom Wilson on their team. Right? You, the way he plays on the edge, the way a guy with that kind of size can, can play with skill and produce points and, and, and clear space and all of those things, would they, would they like him to, to, to kind, of, kind of ease up on the edge a little bit? Sure, of course they would, but... For for him to get the kind of space he gets on the ice and protect his teammates, that is a, 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 a kind of a towing the line that Tom Wilson has to play on. Well, the playoffs start Saturday night with uh, the Capitals hosting Boston in the game one of the um, East Division semifinal. Uh, we know some of the matchups. Uh, Pittsburgh in the East will play the top seed in the East will play the Islanders, and in the uh, Central Division we. Uh, we have uh, Florida and Tampa Bay in one matchup, and Carolina and Nashville in another. Uh, the North Division still set not still yet. They still have some games to play there, and West is still up for grabs between Vegas and Colorado for first place. So, what? I mean, as of right now, as we speak on Tuesday, 
what what do you think that we we're, we're going to see in these playoffs this year? I mean, the way that the format is this year, I mean, it goes back harkens back to the days of uh, the '80s when the you know they had the Patrick Division, Smith Division, uh, Norris and uh, Adams Division semi yeah semifinals and finals. It seems like this it could be very exciting, and uh, you know these teams played all year against each other in the division, so it's it's going to just ratchet up the hatred even more. Yeah, it's, it's like you're reading my AP Sports Digest for what's my story coming on Friday. Uh, that's actually what I'm I, I'm writing about. Is this is it is a reminder of the late '80s and early '90s kind of division playoff format, but also in a way we've never seen before. We've never seen the league reseed the Final Four. We, we, I mean, you could legitimately have a Leafs Bruins Stanley Cup final the way it shakes out. You could have uh, a, a Florida Panthers Washington Capitals Stanley Cup final. Those things are, are entirely possible at this point. And it's fun. I mean, I, you remember the, all these World Series where you have the, the Subway Series or it's the Yankees and the, the Marlins, and there's kind of a regional kind of tinge to it. I, I think it's got the, the, the potential for that. And look, it may, it may wind up being Boston, Vegas, and a very traditional East-West final, but it's going to be uh, certainly a lot of, of teams who know, that know each other very well in the first two rounds. And then... Throw up your hands because who knows who's any good at this point? You, you don't know. The, the Leafs have never played the, the Bruins this season or the Penguins this season. We've not. We haven't seen Vegas play Tampa. We have no idea how any of those series could go. They could go. The, those third round series could go seven games each. They could each be sweeps. We have no clue how these teams are going to match up because it's almost felt like four different leagues going on at once this season. Yeah, it's been kind of fun. Of course, I think the last regional Stanley Cup final was in 1980 between the Islanders and the Flyers. I think that was it, and then and that back when you had the, the Campbell and the Wales and all these kind of wacky different playoff formats that the NHL had back then, you had more of the potential for something like that. Well, I, I grew up in the early late sixties, early seventies, when the, the NHL playoff format was first versus third and second versus fourth. That that format made no sense. That sounds like the NBA playing games to me. <laughs> yeah. So, is it tough to pick a favorite right now? I mean, what team do you think is could be the the favorite to win this thing? I'm going to go with, and, and, and I can't believe this was the betting favorite as of maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, but I've come on board to the Colorado Avalanche and my old friend Philip Grubauer. And, and I, it, I just have this feeling that Vegas is, is getting, is banged up and, and tired at this point and that Nathan McKinnon is ready to put on a show in the playoffs. We're waiting for Connor McDavid to do it. I think that might be a, a year or more away with kind of Edmonton getting its act together in goal, on defense, kind of all around secondary scoring. But the Colorado Avalanche have gone through that. They've gone through McKinnon losing in the playoffs and getting goaltenders injured and, and, and having no secondary scoring. So you add a Kadri and a Burkowski, a Donskoy, those kind of guys, and then being too soft. So there's Kadri. So they've done every little bit along that kind of journey of losing in the playoffs. And I think if Philip Grubauer is able to stay healthy, the Colorado Avalanche are lifting the Stanley Cup in Denver somewhere around July 7th or 8th. Who is the most pleasant surprise team and the most disappointing team this season? The disappointing team is the Flyers. And, and, and that's, there's, the, the fact that this team did not make the playoffs or wasn't close to making the playoffs is just an indictment of everything that that organization is doing right now. From Dave Scott to Chuck Fletcher to Elaine Vigneault, it's it's a mess. And and I don't know if Chuck Fletcher is going to, to make the right moves in this, this offseason to kind of fix that mix. I, I think Elaine Vigneault is the problem. I think coaching is the problem with the Flyers right now more than anything, more than, than, a, than a Sean Couturier or a Claude Giroux, who are both really good players still. Uh, Claude Giroux, even at his age, uh, playing 
extremely well. Sean Couturier, look at all the underlying numbers. One of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. They're absolutely, obviously the most disappointing. I, I don't think the Chuck Side Pledger is going to pull the trigger on Elaine Vigneault and, and hire a new coach. So it's going to be interesting to see how much he can do to fix the roster without maybe getting to the source of the problem, which may be coaching itself. The, the, the pleasant surprise is Carolina, and I, and I love the Hurricanes. And, and Rod Br- everything from Donnie Waddell to, to Rod Brindamore and the three-headed goalie monster of Ndelkovic, Reimer, and Morazic. Just exciting young players, and, and and maybe it hurts kind of their, their branding in, in North America that it's uh, that it's guys from Sweden and Russia being the, the stars. You have a Sveshnikov, you have an Aho, but this is a really fun team. The, the, the Hurricanes play a fun style of hockey. They're they're a, they're a fundamentally sound team with a good coach, a guy everyone recognizes and knows in Rod Brindamore. Their first division title since Brindamore lifted the cup in, in 2006 with Peter Laviolette coach, coaching that team. Carolina's just a fun team. From the storm surge on, it's just it's it's a good style of hockey. It's a team that that it's hard to hate the Carolina Hurricanes in any way. And I think when you're trying to, if you're a fan with no team in the playoffs, it's very easy to latch on to the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, it'll be a lot of exciting games going up as a great time of the year, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Even though my Flyers are not going to be in there this year, uh, Stephen, where can people find you on Twitter, especially for uh, Saturday's Preakness coverage? It is uh, at Twitter at S-W-H-Y-N-O. Just got my Twitter account unlocked this morning after someone hacked into it and, uh, and stole the password and everything. Fortunately, nothing crazy happened, but Twitter, S-W-H-Y-N-O. And I'll tweet out all my stories from there because I'm, I'm an insufferable person. <laughs> well, Stephen, I appreciate a few minutes once again. I know you've been busy, and I appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk uh, horse racing and hockey. Of course, Ken. Talk to you soon. Coming up, I'll speak with Benita Zahn of News Channel 13. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots Podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest is a familiar face to Capital Region television viewers. She has been a staple at WNYT News Channel 13 for nearly 40 years, and last week, she announced she was leaving the station to pursue a new career. Please welcome Benita Zahn. Benita, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on, and congratulations on a great career at Channel 13. Well, thank you very much, and it's a delight to join you. Well, I appreciate that. You're going to uh, go become a health coach. What led to this decision? You know, it's, I'm going to blame the pandemic. How's that? Okay. You know, for a number of years, I had wanted to study this. You know, I've got my master's and doctorate in uh, bioethics and it, it changed how I uh, looked at and reported on health and I thought the health coaching was a really nice uh, uh, complement to that but I was blessed I got cast on a lot of shows and you know, my other life is acting and then the pandemic hit there was no theater no rehearsals to go to the theater was you know uh, virtual and uh, I had the time. So I signed up. I found, did some research, found a great school. I'm going through well coaches. 
And that's a lot of work. And next thing you know, you've got to do some coaching. And I'm like, wow, this is great. I love the connecting with people. I love seeing them become empowered to make change in their life. And um, I had a conversation with the folks over at Capital Cardiology, kind of like, you know, I'm doing this. And I'm like, when can you start, basically? Um, and, and they're such a great group. I've had the pleasure of working with them for some projects here. And the time just seemed right, Ken, you know? Yeah. Uh, we- I, and I, I want to say, I'm not leaving journalism, yeah. per se. I'll still be writing. I've got that little column I do with the folks um, for Live Smart and the Times Union. I write for the Paysetter, the local runner magazine. And uh, I may keep a small role here at News Channel 13. We're talking about it. That's good. Your health reports have become a staple at Channel 13. What what got you involved in, in reporting about health? It, it's kind of twofold, Ken. Um, I went to college as a biology major, and I thought I'd go into um, research into the immune system, immunological research. So I come at this honestly. And then, oh, umpte- my original hair color, I think. <laughs> um, we were uh, we didn't have a female co-anchor at the time. Chris Kapastashi, now Chris Jansing, and I were um, big players in terms of you know, turning out a lot of work at the station and research showed that people were interested in consumers info and health and uh, general manager Steve Babulis came to me first and said what do you want health or consumer and I went I want health because it tied into my first love Chris did uh, consumer reports and you know she went on to have a most fabulous career and I went on to have a most fabulous career doing (laughs) health here (laughs) and that's really how it happened yeah well you've been not only health but you've been Gosh, I mean, political conventions, inaugurations. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking back on your career? What what stood out the most in your reporting? You know, it's always the people, the human stories. I can recall covering the Obama inauguration and standing on the grounds, uh, you know, I don't know, two football fields maybe Mm -hmm. from where he was, maybe closer, and the families there, you know, African-American families, two, three, four generations. And and as I'm telling you this, mm, I'm seeing it Uh, on a sunny day. how wonderful. Yeah, this is a problem when you do theater here. Your sense of memory is very good. Uh, you know, it, it's those kinds of things. It's it's when you, you do a story because somebody was struggling and you make a few phone calls and and it works out. Um, there was a family where they had two twin boys. Uh, they were five years old at the time. and One of them was profoundly deaf and he had had a cochlear implant. And then the insurance company refused to pay for the second cochlear implant and said, oh, he can manage. Well, he couldn't. The noise, it was just so unbalanced. And I spoke to the doc and the family and I called the insurer and we we had a conversation. Well, the end of the story is they did the cochlear implant and the kid is now, they, his family has since moved and they were, he's getting ready to go to college. You know, But oh. that's the kind of stuff, Ken. Yeah. I mean, how has the industry changed in the time you've been there? I mean, it, it, it seems oh. like oh, I mean, now we have the internet, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I mean, it's no longer you know you can't sit on the news anymore if if you don't right. you know, break it out on Twitter, you're you're behind. Exactly, and that becomes an issue too because sometimes you don't want to break it on Twitter. You don't want to tip the other guys, yeah. you know. Before we used to listen to each other's you know um, chatter on the radio, you know, the two way, um, but. Um, it's changed. First of all, what hasn't changed is good storytelling. 
getting your facts straight, telling the story clearly, uh, getting out of the way of the story and letting it unfold. All that stuff has stayed. But you're right. And in the fastness, you have to be what more pure than Caesar's wife. You've just got to be so sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's because you don't want to have to go back and say, oh, in the rush, I didn't get it right. I'm really sorry. I convicted him. You know. but we don't roll a truck anymore you know you've got your backpack and so there's a camaraderie that has changed too um but the time and you know what and you i'm sure you see it too ken it's i start i'm hands i'm clearing my emails before i even roll out of bed (laughs) it it, it's it really is 24 7 yeah i mean that's the one thing i mean when i covered Union hockey all those years. It used to be uh, your season would be over in, in March, and then now it's it was you know recruits and uh, right. basically you know, you're basically living twenty four seven. I mean you know trying to follow recruits and you know, all the stuff yep. to get ahead on. It's just it's it's nuts, but uh, it's the way of the world right now. And you know, obviously you got to you know look and see what's true and what's false. And you know, obviously that's 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 the big key I think these days mm-hmm. is trying to determine mm-hmm. what's right, what's wrong. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You really got to suss it out, you, and you've got to be dogged. So that's why I say good journalism that that hasn't gone out of style. What has changed is how we get our information, the speed with which it comes to us, and we disseminate it, and what people. I, I worry about the audience's ability to discern between those who have done the work to vet the information and those who do the work just to get clicks. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. Yeah. I mean, you were, like I said, you were over nearly 40 years at WNYT. To be able to last that long at one station, what does that mean to you? <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I just, I, can I always have, I, I always reinvented myself. And I think that's what it means for a journalist. You know, could I have left the area? Sure. I like it here. Um, I had some things happen in my life personally that always encouraged me to stay, to be near friends and within a few hours of family. And so I did. Um, but you, you have to change with the times. And I, I'd like to believe that I've done that and I've done that well. What is the biggest story you've covered in your time at WNYT? Would it have to be 9-11? Yeah, I suppose. You know, we spent a week down there. I was at Ground Zero um, about 11.30 on 9-12. And um, that was a seminal experience. And I did a stand-up that night. And I said, I've walked these streets and I've shopped in these stores. And tonight I could be on the backside of the moon. And I listened to this. I found the story about 10 or 12 years after. And, you know, that's pretty much exactly what I said. I remembered those words. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I covered a host of conventions, Republican and Democratic. I covered, obviously, 9-11, the, the Unabomber trial we flew out to Sacramento for. I went to the World Gathering of Holocaust Survivors in Israel, um, covered Katrina, the aftermath of Katrina. And I, I don't know as local stations are and will continue to do that kind of work either. And, and going back to your question about how things have changed, I think we've become more regional and relying more on other services now. I could be wrong. I hope I am. But Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, obviously, uh, you work with many great colleagues in News Channel 13, and, and one in particular, I think, is Ed Dagg, who recently passed away. Uh, what, yeah. was Ed, what was Ed like? Ed kept you on your toes. He was funny, he was smart, irreverent, um, old-fashioned newsman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't really make those these days, those old-fashioned newsmen. No, they don't. You know, I, we, I, I coined the phrase, being dagged, and I fessed up to it to him. He would ask you a question when you were out live, and you're like, where is that coming from? But it made you a better journalist, because rather than just the who, what, why, where, when, and how, you would look at the sidebars to those questions, to really 360 an experience and event. Yeah, and now Mark Mahalans took over for Jim Cambrick. Uh, how do you think Mark will do? Oh, I think Mark will do great. He's a consummate newsman, and you know that's my one. Uh, if I'm sad about some things, I'm having. First of all, you know I adore Jim, and yeah. let's put that on uh, aside for a sec. But I'm having such a great time with Mark. We have very our, our sensibilities about news are so perfectly aligned. He's a hard worker. Uh, dedicated to getting it right and uh, I, I just love working with him so i think he'll do fine and as you mentioned uh, you love to act love to sing where did that come from and how did you manage to balance that with working uh, at channel 13 if you could see my face now i'm like wrinkling my nose and laughing um i i've been doing this my whole life and i i, I can credit or blame my parents on both sides my mom was uh, rest her soul was a wonderful actress uh, who gave it all up for family and I, she was my first acting coach really um, didn't never wanted me to pursue it but I learned a lot and it's just uh, it's that desire to create Ken and when you are performing and the audience is so in the moment you have helped them it's like health they in that you've taken them away from whatever is in their world if they're if they're not happy it's they've left that at the door if they are happy and it's a fun show you augment it but it's a, and it's a communal experience with the people in the audience and those on stage it becomes a living thing each night you create something else so it's i think it aligns with my work and it's been very fulfilling as to how i got it done let me tell you i have eaten a lot of veggie burgers at 65 miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> and of course you, know, you jerry gressinger and jessica layton know jessica's now at uh, wcbs down in new york yeah. yeah you had a singing group that was that yeah was fun. yeah the singing anchors in <laughs> fact jerry and i have continued to perform together and we were fortunate during the you know when the world closed down to be able to perform at uh, cafe lena we did two shows there, nobody in the audience, but one was done, you know, for a virtual audience, and another we recorded for the Wesley community in Saratoga, for the senior up there. So we've had this opportunity to still continue, and that's been lovely. And Jess was in a couple months ago, and we all got to sing around the piano, you know, socially distant, and uh, it, was, it was nice. What do you think you'll say on your final newscast? Thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for letting me into your homes uh, virtually, you know, and physically. And uh, thank you. Be well. That's about all I can think of at the moment, Ken. Well, Benita, I do appreciate a few minutes. Again, congratulations on a wonderful career at uh, WNYT. And, uh, thank you. And enjoy and good luck with the with the new job. And uh, obviously we'll see your face from time to time on on Channel 13. It'll be, uh, it'll be great to see you. 
You got it. And all best to you. Right, thanks, thanks so much. All right. That's Benita Zahn. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and announce the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play at the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins the $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi. This is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 12 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Edward J. Balmas of Schenectady. Edward wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Edward. Nick Platel of Grand Premier Tires and Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment we're the co-VIP winners. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Tony Zaracolo, Stephen Wino, and Benita Zahn for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.